Caroline was a woman who had her place. It was right there on the right hand side of the church, near the first stained glass window, closest to the side aisle. There was Carol, there's where Caroline worshipped, and that to Caroline was her place. Her pastor learned this one day as he was bringing her communion. You see, Caroline was no longer in church as often as before. She was unable to leave her home without difficulty, and the pastor had started bringing her communion once a month. One day after the service, she finally raised the subject, Pastor, has anyone begun to sit in my place? He was surprised by how tenderly she raised the issue. It was as if she was embarrassed to ask and yet also afraid of the answer he might give. What to him was simply a seat in the church, to Caroline was very important. It was her place. Her place of worship, her place of prayer, her place among God's people for so many years. And so she was afraid of his answer. You see, other people had begun to sit in her place. People who didn't think she would ever make it back in. And in the future, people who wouldn't know her at all. For Caroline, sitting there in her home, knowing that she would not be coming back to church this year, it was very important that she still have her place. You felt Caroline's fear, I'm sure, the fear of losing your place. It happens to all of us. We are certain about our job, our role in someone's life, and then suddenly things change and we find someone or something else has taken our place. You used to be the one who, would work, who could work well with numbers at the office. If there was a financial problem, people would come crawling to you. And you kind of liked that power. If nothing else, you said, at least they noticed. But then in comes the new kid with the newest technology and you find that others are seeking her advice about finances or worse yet, they're doing it themselves. You've begun to lose your place. And you begin to wonder how long you'll be needed. You begin to wonder if you've lost your place. If you've ever felt that fear, then you have an inkling of what was going on in our gospel lesson this evening. Luke tells us the feast of unleavened bread drew near. This was the Passover, and yet it was filled with an unholy fear. Luke says that the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put Jesus to death, for they feared the people. Feared the people. That's a strange thing to say about these men. After all, they were the ones who confidently took their places among the people. They loved the most important seats in the synagogue and the greetings in the marketplaces. They were experts in the law, able to make a person break under its burden in a single word. They wore the long tassels and the robes and the big headdresses. They gave a tenth of their possessions. They fasted twice a week. They could stand in the center of the synagogue and thank God that they were not like the other people. They had wisdom and power and respect of the people. That is until Jesus showed up. His ministry attracted crowds. His words touched hearts. His hands opened eyes and his words and hands were everywhere. His very presence brought about a life that they had 
had never known and a gratitude that they could only describe as divine. And with his words and his work among the people, the scribes had begun to lose their place. And so while everyone around them is preparing for the Passover, the scribes are afraid. And in that fear, they prepare for Jesus' death. I don't know if you notice the irony here. Luke tells us that the feast of Passover was approaching. And then the only preparation for the feast that he reveals is fear and the conspiracy to commit murder. He takes us into the lives of the religious leaders of the community and reveals their sin. When the leaders of God's people spend their time plotting death before the Passover, one can only wonder what lies at the heart of their religion. It shouldn't surprise us then that Luke talks about the foe. This is certainly Satan's realm. Religion on the outside but corruption within. Where there is fear, there is likely to be the foe. Satan enters Judas, and Judas discusses how he might betray Jesus. Not only is there the foe, but there is also the use of force. Luke tells us that when Judas comes to visit the religious leaders, he finds them with the chief priests and the military officers. If you can't secure your position by your work among the people, you can at least protect your position by some force. Not only is there force, but Luke also points to finances. Upon hearing of Judas's offer of betrayal, they were glad and agreed to give him money. So we have fear, we have force, we have finances, and we have the foe. A deadly combination. Sorry, Mr. Treasurer, if you're here tonight. It brings about the death and the life of faith. It did then and it does now. For some of you, you've raised your kids together. We've raised our kids together in this church. I've seen a lot of change. You know, my kids have grown up with your kids. We used to be the pride of our children. After a soccer practice or a football game, your child came running to meet you at the car. And the ride home was filled with talk about the game and those security in your words. That was a couple of years ago, but today it's all changed. Now you're lucky if you, if you needed to pick her up at all. She'll get a ride home with friends or even drive herself. No more happy, smiling, running child to the car and no more car ride home to tell you all about it. You realize that you've begun to lose your place. Out of fear of, of what's happening, you might turn to force and demand that you pick him or her up from practice, but that's a battle you're going to lose. Where there is force, finances are sure to follow. Who pays for all this stuff? Who pays for all this equipment? Who pays for the gas to come and get you? Better realize that you have a right to know what happened at the game. Force and finance and deep down, further down than any of us can notice, lies the foe. Stirring up your anger, churning your fear, working in the lives of you and your child to bring about anger and separation and reasons to rebel. Honor one's parent, the commandment says. Love of one's child, these holy things are torn apart by the work of the foe. 
Luke, however, points out that in the face of all of this, in the face of fear, force, finances, and the, and the power of the foe, there is one other factor. God. God who prepares a place for His people at Passover. God is still at work in this story, my friends, and His work is really so simple that if you don't read it closely, you may miss it altogether. Luke writes, Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They went and found it just as He had told them, and they prepared the Passover. Jesus speaks and a place is prepared. He offers a strange depiction of circumstances, a man carrying a jar of water, a journey to the city, a furnished upper room. His disciples go and find that it's exactly as Jesus says, and in the middle of all this, God is still at work. What's he doing? Well, he's preparing a place for his people. That's what the Passover is. After all, the the place where God comes and rescues His people. The place where God declares that He and He alone is at work to set His people free. God's people have gone far away from Him, but the Passover still draws near. Love has turned into fear. Fear has turned into action. Service has turned into force and offerings into bribes. And still, Passover draws near. Regardless of what his people are doing, God continues to do his work. It is his work, after all, that sets people free. Free from the fear of slavery in Egypt, free from the force of Pharaoh, free from sin and free from suffering. God alone, again and again, sets his people free. And year after year, generation after generation, God's people gather to celebrate his simple yet wonderful work. Tonight, we gather at the beginning of another season of Lent. And once again, Passover draws near. And this year among us, there are those who have lost their places. Relationships have changed. Kids have grown. Jobs have been lost or become less secure. And those who were once close now seem far away. And in the midst of all this change, we might get that sinking feeling wondering how we're going to manage. For those of you who gather, these weeks of Lent come to point out to you that one thing does not change. Passover draws near and God once again does His work of freeing and forgiving you. God once again prepares a place for you here. This Lent will gather for a season to reflect on the places of the Passion. You've been to these places before. The Upper Room, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Halls of Pontius Pilate, and the Hill of Golgotha. These are the places we remember when we meditate on our Lord's suffering and Passion. Yet when Jesus enters a place, He never leaves it the way He finds it. Peter will still be Peter, Denying Jesus in the courtyard, Pilate will still be Pilate, struggling in his judgment hall, and the crowds will still be the crowds, calling for Jesus' death outside the palace. But don't be put off by these places, because in the midst of this story, there's a 
powerful, powerful love. We'll see tonight and every night that no matter where we are in our lives, God is still showing up, claiming us as His children. He's still preparing a place for us in His kingdom. In a way, God is very much like a parent who realizes that His children have left Him, strayed far from home, though they live there every day. While He can't control the fact that His son gets a ride home from friends after practice, while he can't control the fact that his daughter puts on her headphones and listens to music rather than the voice of her father, while he can't control the fact that his children shut themselves up in their rooms rather than sit with the family, he can control how many places he sets at the table. And as long as he is the father and as long as this is his household, there will always be a place for his children always here at his table a place for you so tonight we begin our Lenten observance with a celebration of the Lord's Supper tonight God comes and brings with him a feast that always has a place for you his suffering his death his resurrection had a purpose there's no reason to fear for your sins have been forgiven Your life is no longer your own and tonight there is a place set for you at God's table. You know, if Caroline was still alive, that pastor could answer her question. No, she she no longer has the place, her place in the pew. That place now has other people sitting there, but she does have a place at God's table. Jesus has prepared a place for her. So when Caroline couldn't come to church anymore, and felt like she was losing her place, well, Jesus decided to bring her church to her. There they sat, Caroline, her pastor, her Lord, at the table. And there our Lord assured her that nothing in this world could take his place away from her. And for you and me here tonight, with Jesus as the Lord of this table, there is always a place for us together. Amen.